Hey guys, welcome to the Well Said Podcast. My name is Andre, and I'm a pastoral intern at Living Word Bible Church, where I'm responsible for youth and young adult ministries. I'm also a part-time student at the Southern Seminary. Every week, I'll be sitting down with my good friend Alexi, and we are going to be talking about both the beauty and the complexity of following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. Welcome back and happy summer, guys. I can say that confidently from my side because I have moved into a new home and a lot of the stress and tension of the beginning weeks of summer are passing and I can say happy summer. So I'm excited. What about you, man? What is That's what's new with me. I'm just, I'm just coming in hot on that. I'm just coming in full speed. Summer's here. My wife and I and my kids have moved into a new home. It's all boxes and and mess, but it's it, we're in and we've landed. And I feel like I can say happy summer. Nice. What about you? Right about halfway through the summer, you can say happy <laughs> summer. That's good. At least there's still some summer yeah. to enjoy. In Bellingham, I feel like summer just began, though. We're just so getting warmed up. We're yep. just getting started. New with me. Um, <laughs> Pins recently, and needles. Yeah, I visited some of my uh, my relatives in uh, Spokane. Mm. I was there over the weekend, and it's interesting how relationships evolve over time and with distance, mm-hmm. and the impact it makes. The little dings and dents on a relationship that the distance can make. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Are you having some relational tensions? in Spokane because you're here now with us because we're so much cooler it's not tensions it's just different it Mm. evolves not the way you expect it Mm, mm -hmm. it's just different some things slow down some things speed up and some things you're like what is going on you know you never know what you're gonna get exactly so dealing with a lot of those things Mm -hmm. but it keeps life exciting yeah family is the greatest curse and the greatest blessing at the same time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or maybe both, or maybe either one only for some yeah, of us. Yeah. We're not going to make absolute statements here yeah. <laughs> on this topic. So well, it's good to have you back in Bellingham. Yeah, glad to be back. You missed Sunday. We had a lot of guests in church. By the way, guys, if we have not had an official, like, extended invitation to everybody who listens, come visit our church sometime. It's really awesome. You are all welcome to join us on Sundays at 2 p.m. at Living Word Bible Church in Bellingham. If you want the exact location, you could message us. You're all very welcome. We've been talking about church community and community and church and community, and we've never actually said, hey, guys, if you're in town, visit us. So consider this your official invitation. Finally, episode what, 14, we invited people <laughs> yeah, to the church. That's how long it takes. That's a great Living start. Living Word Bible Church in Bellingham, Washington. That's where we are. Well, we call it Bellingham, but it's technically in Ferndale. Technically, it's in Bellingham. Oh. Although a lot of people think it's in Ferndale. I take that back. We are in Bellingham. We are in Bellingham. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. Um, Today, we are talking about a subject that may be oftentimes shunned or avoided in church, and that is the question of doubt. So, Alexi, do you ever doubt your faith? Oh, man. It's uh, (laughs) a... Do you ever doubt... If God exists, do you ever doubt if the Bible is actually real? The thoughts do seep through. When I went to college, 
I dealt a lot more with it because of the exposure of all of the other ideas out there, mm-hmm. especially in philosophy classes and other classes that wanted to take the Catholicism classes that we went to Catholic school. Uh, you had to face the differences and the, the logical chains of well, how they would prove what they were claiming was mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. And it does seep through the doubt because I didn't have all of the proof and uh, backup for all of the ideas I claimed to believe. Right. So the doubt would be there. But I think the biggest question I ever faced was the fact that you don't really see God. You don't have a proof. You don't have God on the video camera. Yeah, where is he? How does he look? Yeah, you know, I I used to imagine it's like this big white guy with a big beard. And then (laughs) I imagined just like in the pictures in those children's books. But in reality, he kind of looks nothing like that. Like, who is he? What does he look like? We've never seen him. We read about in the book. So it's, it's like... Is he really there? Mm-hmm. You know, so you see, is anybody listening? Exactly. And I pray. Am I talking to myself? And sometimes I feel like I'm catching myself. I'm like, wait, am I really thinking that I'm? Am I praying to God here, or am I just like, l- you know, letting myself it's get real. out there? Yeah. Yep. Doubt. So it, it, it's real. It's mm-hmm. real. You have to deal with it. Yeah, and especially, uh, especially in our age today, when it seems like everywhere you turn a fundamental value is being doubted. Uh, Institutions are being doubted. Um, What we consider good or bad is being doubted. Uh, The way we live our lives, the way we structure our families, everything is under doubt today. And because we're such finite people, we are limited little creatures, right? I think what you were saying, going to college, going and being exposed... To a lot of us, this happens at that college phase. Um, it's pretty much when we start thinking for the first time, maybe. That's why. Um, when you, Because you're a limited person, you start reading, you start researching, you start studying. And, and when you read a lot of a different voice, even if that voice is wrong, it starts to erode your sense of reality. Um, Hitler once said, well, actually, I don't know if Hitler really said this. Somebody said that Hitler said, so I don't know who <laughs> said this, but somebody said this. I know where you're my, going My sense this. of truth is being eroded already. <laughs> um, said that if you tell a lie long enough, loud enough, often enough, the people will believe it. Um, I don't know if Hitler really said that, but it doesn't really matter who said that. I think it's true. Um, yeah. it, it, it's our experience. It's our daily experience. We're all being brainwashed with marketing. What is true? What is real? We live in an age of doubt. Uh, we live in an age of mass information, um, and we all experience doubt on on on, on cer- certain levels. And so, why is this culture a culture of doubt at its core? What do you think? Any just just one word and two word answers? Some of the things that pop into my head is uh, the freedom that we have to think. Mm-hmm. We can really decide for ourselves mm-hmm. what we believe. I mean, we see examples of this left and right. Mm-hmm. And the mass source of information are in, and, and our inability to pick and choose what's right and what's wrong. Right. So we just, because honestly, any any position you Google, you will find research articles that will prove your side in a way, you know. Right. Not everything, but for majority. Right. And it's just an ability to grasp the whole thing. We just end up being, we're being pulled on both sides. Right. It's actually times. very interesting, right? So... 
you would think that being so informed and so technologically advanced as we are, it would make us more confident. It actually makes us less confident because all of a sudden we are swimming in a sea of information. And because, see, here's the thing, because we are finite or limited creatures, we lack the capacity to put it all together. Yeah. Right. And so we have all this information. You can Google anything at your fingertips. Right. And yet, because we're such little humans, our brains are limited. We start to doubt everything. Right. You have so much information, so much truth in all directions. Truth is infinite in all directions. And then we're like, well, what is truth in the first place? Right. Yeah. We are actually incapable of handling it. Yeah. We are. Yeah. Because we're limited. We're not God. Um, if God exists, <laughs> uh, I think the Later other, to the, be revealed. <laughs> right. The other piece here that I think I would want to chime in is the impact of secularism is catching up to our culture. Now, what is secularism? Secularism is the view that um, it is essentially, in a simple way, secularism is a godless view of the universe. So, uh, how do we decide basic questions of life? It's not the, the in the equation you do not include God. So secularism holds to a essentially human centered view of reality. You, your brain, your ability to reason, your ability to do scientific experiments and understand the world and think logically, that is what you have. So that's a secular or a godless view of society. And so we have been evolving in a secular view of society from for hundreds of years now. Um, a lot of people will point to, for example, the Declaration of Independence and say, oh, look, they all believed in God, see, because we were created in, uh, with rights. But when you actually read the Constitution, it's interesting that the U.S. Constitution even is rooted in a secular outlook. So it doesn't actually mention God. Yeah. It actually roots all of society and values um, and order in a contract. The, the social contract theory, if you ever heard that, or the idea that we as as intelligent human beings have conspired in order to more form a more perfect union. Um, we come together to surrender certain rights in order to share in certain opportunities that that gives. So it's a secular foundation of all society. We, the humans, have decided. It's a secular view. So you start that, right? Hundreds mm-hmm. of years later... People look around and realize, well, if we decided to make society, then why can't we just remake society, right? And so that's catching up. That's taken us hundreds of years, but it's catching up. And in every sphere of life, little by little, we start to say, wait a minute. If there is no God who says how life should be, then why marry? Then why not marry animals? Then why not redefine family why not redefine morality why not redefine up and down why not redefine purple and pink and red and orange i mean everything is up for grabs now yeah that's where we are it's it's catching up to us it is interesting because this idea of rewriting what was written in our case well almost 300 years ago Mm -hmm. right because we are not the same human beings, just rewriting it because it was written back then, not now. And things have changed. Their opinions have changed. Their desires have changed. That is seeping through in our culture, left and right, especially amongst young people. Right. And the interesting thing about Christian worldview is that 
the Christian admits clearly that my view of reality uh, has a philosophical anchor in God. So, because God is real and God speaks to me, I believe that. That's, that's something I take by faith. If there is a God who created me in his image, who created me with intelligent capacity, and he created me for relationship and for meaningful life in this world. Because of that, I know I am real. I know I can have knowledge. I know that I have a, a rational brain that can understand the world. So God is a philosophical anchor for a Christian to be able to know reality. And every single worldview system, whether it be secularism, Buddhism, uh, Islamism, you know, yeah. every single worldview system tries to anchor itself in something, anchor its source of knowledge in something. And most of them try to do it in basic human reason. Why do I, why am I so confident that I shouldn't kill people? Well, because, because it makes sense to my brain. So that's the anchor. And in most societies, we are finding today, hmm, that anchor isn't much of an anchor. It's actually floating around, and we can redefine everything. Yeah. It's amazing how, it, how it's, the anchor is disappearing. If you look at the borders, countries used to have very straight borders. You couldn't come across, you couldn't communicate with someone across the board. You couldn't uh, necessarily do business across the board. Everything was a lot more complicated. Nowadays, with all the internet and everything, it really is up to you. World, The whole world is essentially in your hands. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. You can talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. You can do business with anyone practically. And with that, with those borders disappearing, the individualism is spiking up just the feel of you being the king of your own world. You're not necessarily dependent on the president anymore right. or the army or your government. Not really. Right. That previous sense of dependence erodes and we have this new false sense of the yeah. super me or in Nietzsche's terminology, the superman, um, where he basically said we are supposed to evolve into a superman. And the superman is basically when we as humans, we define what what we want. We don't have to conform to Christian ideals anymore. So we live in this culture of doubt everywhere. It's not going yeah. away. It's it's just growing it's and increasing. Yeah. Now, why is this idea of doubt and questioning your faith and doubting um, so shunned and so um, maybe avoided in the church? What well, do you think? I think there are a few reasons. Probably the most prominent one is uh, it's tough work. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you start doubting, you have to either defeat the doubt mm-hmm. or you have to fall for it in a way. Right. Where you have to agree with the doubt. Defeating it is hard work. Mm-hmm. You either have to have the resources, you have to have people that can walk you through it. It's hard work. You have to research. There's prayer involved. It's intensive. Yep. I, I believe it's intensive. Right. It's, it's not right. It's not a flip it's of challenging. the finger. On one hand, on the other hand, a lot of people, I believe, have uh, doubt that their strength will withstand the doubt, that they would be strong enough to withstand it, not fall for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, see, ah, man, that was a bad one. See, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, there, a lot of people don't... Are afraid to face the truth. Hmm. 
are just af- afraid to face. Why? When it Wh- falls, why are you afraid well, to tr- face the truth if, if the truth is something that with, you believe in? With truth comes great responsibility in a way. Mm. And I think it's one of those things that uh, probably we are trained as we're young. You know, you're punished, you don't know, you kind of get a uh, just slap on the wrist, mm-hmm. you get a pass in a way. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to God, learning more about him than you know already maybe scaring someone yeah or maybe finding out that the christianity isn't right shadows your whole world right so you're afraid to find out the truth in a way either way right we live with a fragile set of beliefs maybe and we're afraid that those fragile set of beliefs will be demolished by doubt we're afraid that we may not like the things we find when we ask the hard questions. And so we avoid, we shun, we tell them, just believe, just believe, right? Yeah, just um, believe. We are afraid that maybe people who ask these kind of questions, these people, they're rebels. Um, they're, they don't, they're not uh, humble enough to believe in God. They're trying to make an excuse for sin. They're trying to make an excuse not to believe. And certainly a lot of people who come up with a bunch of doubts in the church oftentimes are using that as an avenue or a, to get out of the church but that does not mean that all doubt is of such nature right yeah so i think that one thing that this really uncovers is that we have a false view of faith uh, oftentimes in the church that faith is is a blind leap in the dark faith is just it's don't don't think just believe okay don't don't you know don't wrestle with all those hard human questions you're never going to understand god Either way, so just believe, okay? Just believe. And that is a fundamentally false view of faith, actually. That, that is a view of faith that says faith does not depend on facts. Faith does not depend on reason. Faith does not disp- depend on outside reality. Faith is just this, this desperate act, a leap in the dark. And that is not the Christian view of faith. Oh, I really want to hear the future statements that you're going to make because at the same time isn't christianity based on faith alone in a way right we don't see god he doesn't come over for dinner physically right so it is kind of faith right right but what what are the facts yes and here's here's where we land what is the fundamental relationship between faith and facts right so what is the christian view of doubt and reason right so first of all i want to point out a few things the Bible constantly challenges its readers. Um, you, you just a few a, a sampling of texts, you know, would be like Isaiah one, eighteen, where God is talking to a rebellious people who are not living His standard. They are rebelling against God. They're disobeying on all levels, um, and God invites them and says, "Come, let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool so god is saying i want to fix you guys i want to help you be cleansed of your sins and he says come to me let us reason let us think listen to my words and think about what i'm telling you and that is the that is the pathway to being restored in a relationship with him with him and cleansed and so that's another point there is what he's saying is that sin is irrational Sin is illogical. Sin goes against logic. And, and, and when you come to righteousness, when you come to God, God is, is straightening out our sense of logic and ability to think. 
Uh, remember Jesus in Matthew 16, where he, he gathers his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? You know, it's an interesting question. He's been talking to them. He's been hanging out for an extended period of time. Obviously, he's been telling them that he is the son of God. And now he says, so who do they say I am? And then he turns to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Like, why is Jesus asking this? Why? Like, what, what does it matter what they think, right? But no, he wants to call out their incomplete faith. He wants to call out their incomplete facts, their incomplete understanding, and he wants to help deal with it. Um, numerous times in the book of Acts, where Paul is witnessing to various people, whether it be Jews or Greeks, um, it, it uses the words, Paul reasoned with them, Paul argued with them. Um, he reasoned with them daily in the temple, you know. So what is he what is it saying? It says that he, he came and he brought arguments. He sifted. He weighed the facts. He, he, he compared the alternatives with them. Um, in Acts 17, when Paul comes to preach to the Bereans, and they doubted his preaching, and they double-checked it based on other evidence, and it called these people noble and wise. So it says that they were more noble than the other Jews because they not only listened to Paul, but they examined to see if these things were so. Mm-hmm. So they were double-checking Paul's words. They were doubting him, doubting the sermon, and double-checking based on previous records, based on other writings. And the New Testament says that they were wise. They were more noble. Um, Paul says to the Corinthians, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. So he's saying, are you really Christians? Are you really Christians? Check yourself. Ask yourself. Why do you think you're a Christian? Why do you think you're saved? You know? Um, I love the text in text in Acts 26, where Paul has been arguing for the reality of the gospel to Festus. Festus is a Greek ruler that Paul is standing before. Paul has made this argument. And verse 24, Acts chapter 26, this is what it says. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things and to speak to him boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped your notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa says, Do you believe? Oh, no, 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 sorry. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And then he says, You know that you believe, King. And the king says to Paul, Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So there's an intellectual wrestling match going mm-hmm. on here. As Paul is being charged with legal problems, Paul is explaining that he is innocent of the charges, first of all. And second of all, Paul says, by the way, the stuff that I'm saying is true. Jesus is Lord. And you, king, you should believe in him too. And and he's saying, you're out of your mind. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not out of my mind. This is true and rational. And you know this because you've been here and you've seen all this stuff happening in the cities. And he's like, what you trying to you're trying to persuade me to be a Christian? So notice what notice the assumptions in this text yeah. that to become a Christian is to be persuaded of facts and arguments. So the Christian faith is built on truth claims. Truth claims 
that are claims about what the world is and how it works. And these claims inevitably appeal to our logic and our reason and historical, historical facts because we're talking about the real world. And we were just talking about this earlier. Every belief system is interacting with, with faith and facts because every faith system is trying to explain the facts. Every faith system is trying to explain the real world. Yeah. Right? So every belief system is colliding with facts, wrestling with facts, wrestling with reason. However, we know that from a Christian perspective, you're, you're, what is the measuring stick of truth? Is it history? Is it reason? Is it science? As a Christian, we know, no, we are all flawed people, and we can't rely just on my brain and my smarts. Because we get lost. We just said this. We all get lost. We start reading different books. We're like, geez, I don't even know. So from a Christian perspective, we say we know truth based on what God tells us. God reveals his truth, and we know it's true, right? So the journey of faith, from a Christian perspective, the journey of faith, the journey of growing up in the faith is a process of interacting and reasoning through God's revealed world on the one hand, God's revealed word on the one hand, God has written this in the Bible. And on the other side, facts, experiences, historical realities that we're dealing with in the world, right? So the Christian journey of faith is a process of wrestling, sifting, weighing, reconciling reality. And we know because we are sinners that even our sense of logic is flawed. Even our sense of history is flawed. So as we are testing God's word, we also allow God's word to test us and correct our logic, correct our reason, correct our sense of order and truth, you know, about mm-hmm. how life should be. So true faith is trusting in God's promises, not despite evidence, but because of evidence. True faith is when you put your faith in God's word because you say, this is trustworthy, right? It does not do God any glory when you're going to say, gosh, this Bible thing, super untrustworthy, super sketchy. I don't even know if it's real, but I'm just going to believe. That's not bringing much glory to God. Mm -hmm. That's saying that God is not really good at communicating and that his word is super shady. We don't know if it's true or not. But true faith is when you say, this book, I stake my life on this book because this book is trustworthy. Put it to the test. Ask the questions. And you will see, we can believe this, this is God's word. And yet at the end of the day, I can't prove to you. I can't prove to you that God exists. It's faith, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the nature of faith. At the end of the day, every faith system, every faith system is trying to wrap itself around all the facts and bring them all together. And Christianity says, this is the story that brings it together. This is the truth. And it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's where we hold on to it as Christians because... It actually gives an explanation to this world, which doesn't need, which doesn't have caveats. Right. It actually gives a full explanation as to how we got to where we're at. Right. And it does not only do that, it actually provides the solution. Right. But, and here's the thing, I think what a lot of Christians don't understand is a healthy, balanced view of doubt is needed in order to grow in faith. If you never ask the hard questions, if you are never challenged, you will never grow in your faith because you're never going to go back into the Word of God and double research and double check and reconcile, right? 
that's and that and, and and the other thing that we have to understand here is this that doubt healthy doubt is a humble doubt healthy doubt is a humble doubt because it is a doubt that understands okay i need to verify if this is true but also i need to understand that my own intellectual abilities are very limited every single one of us we're little people yeah. the universe is big we are get over it you're not god and you can't know everything you know mm -hmm. that's what happens to uh the freshman in college who realizes in philosophy class that we don't know what truth is and 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 that's it he's just free he's superpower you know with this question i don't know i don't know says who says who says who well the big question is on what basis are you even asking the question yeah that's and that's the difference with doubt of this world and and christian doubt the doubt of this world doesn't understand that it needs to doubt itself. Secular doubt, the problem with secular doubt of today's world, it's a doubt that doesn't realize that it needs to doubt itself, you know? Mm -hmm. That on what basis am I even asking these questions? On what basis do I trust my brain? The logical connections in my brain, are those even right? I don't know. You know, and that's the the criticism that Christianity has against secularism, is this: if there is no God who made you, then how can you even trust anything that goes on in your brain? How there is no basis. How can you trust it? You know. So, on a Christian, the Christian approach to doubt says, "I don't know everything. I need God to tell me, and my understanding of God is flawed, and I need God even for that." And we wrestle. We ask questions. So another question that came in today, though, was pretty interesting. So how do we help others with their doubt when we ourselves struggle with doubt? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Ooh. <laughs> well, that's actually kind of coincided with the question that I had real quick is, what are the classic doubts? I feel like the most classic doubt that Christians have is, why? how do we know that, that the Bible is the Word of God? Mm -hmm. Written by men. Written over and over, passed on from generation to generation over thousands of years. It's written by men. It, like, it's not given to us from heaven. Like, hand did not reach out and gave us the physical right. book, you know. But, uh, I, well, that, I mean, that's that question yeah. already can be a whole episode. Yeah, then that's but. the thing. Yeah, so it would be cool to do an episode on it. But I think some of the easy and very simple tools are number one is pray. Just actually pray for the person mm -hmm. that God shows mercy and helps the person walk through it. Number two is actual research. Go after the facts. Right. Like literally go after the facts. Of, For example, that's what I did with the Bible question. I went after the facts. Right. How did we get this piece of paper that we're, we're on right now? Mm -hmm. Every single book. Where did they come from? Who put it together? You know, and then, and then you come across these facts of like them finding a cave... Uh, somewhere in Arabia or I don't remember the country 2,000 years later and then comparing it to the text that was copied over for 2,000 right. years and it's the same yeah you know how can you doubt that it's a fact like it's a physical fact I don't even have to believe it it's a fact you know mm -hmm. so getting after the facts yeah yeah so what about you yeah I think so just to connect to that too um when 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 we struggle with doubt the very first and most important question I think is the question that a lot of people don't ask is what is the source of my doubt? Where is this doubt coming from? There could be two sources. First of all, it could be a true intellectual question. So you can have a real question like, hey, I thought the, the Bible was disproven. Wasn't it disproven? 
Doesn't it, hasn't it been proven that it, there's full of errors? So that's a true intellectual, historical, rational question. Mm -hmm. If your doubt is rooted in a true intellectual, historical question, then it's very different than if your doubt is rooted in what a lot of people struggle with is um, an, an experience or an emotional state that we are in or a feeling, a subjective feeling of God is distant. I don't know if he, I don't feel God's presence in my life. How do I know he's real if this, these bad things are happening? So there's two avenues there. If your question is truly uh, intellectual, you need to find somebody who has um, qualified answers, a, a person who, a source, a resource that has, that can give you well-researched, truly, truly historic, truly theological, biblical answers. The second version of doubt, which is more rooted in, in in a negative experience or a painful experience that we have with faith or with the church, which is actually the biggest reason I think that people experience doubt. In most of my conversations with people who are not Christians or who are, who are doubting about Christianity, it has to do more with experiences that they had in the church or with Christians that told them these people are a bunch of fakers and this God thing, it's all fake because it's not real because they're all hypocrites. Or I prayed and prayed and prayed and God did not answer my prayer and I went through this tragedy and God isn't real. So a lot of times doubt actually, it's it masks itself as an intellectual thing, but it's actually rooted in emotion and in our experience and our feeling of whether or not God is even real. Now, I don't want to downplay the significance. This is really significant. When you experience doubt, when you just experience spiritual darkness and spiritual dryness, that is real. It's just a different kind of struggle than an intellectual one. I think lots of times we will isolate and say, oh, true doubt is like, you know, you got to get your answer and you're good. You got your answer. No, oftentimes we feel so down and that feeling of d being down and being so angry or hurt, it's very difficult to look past that and to still believe in God. But when you understand that your doubt is rooted in an experience, a, a, a negative experience, it's very helpful because then you realize that you're not actually looking for an intellectual answer. You're not actually looking for a solution that is more of, of an answer, a sentence, a, a paragraph, a book, you know, mm -hmm. you're actually looking for an answer that is rooted in experience. So is the church even real? Do people, does the love of Christ uh, work in the church? Um, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? These are questions of experience. And so um, when we're wrestling with those, we have to pursue an avenue that, that will help us know whether this is true based on that experience. If your doubt is rooted more in experience, the only way to dispel these clouds is to take God's word fully to the test, to lean in on God's promises and to see what happens. So if you are doubting the reality of the church, if you are doubting the power of the Bible, the, the reality of God's spirit to work through the Bible, uh, the love of God, the ability of God to answer prayers, um, if you're doubting these things, the only way to test them is to lean into them, right? So first of all, you must be reading your Bible and praying every single day. 
you must be taking God's promises literally and seriously and coming to him with that. You must be attending a healthy church community and worshiping every week. So you must be immersing yourself in the rhythms of the Christian life because these are the zones, these are the avenues through which God says, I will, if you live this, if you live in these realms, this is where you drink of the grace, right? Mm -hmm. So if you say, I don't know if God's real, and then you just go and hang out with new age theorists all the time, well, you're not really going to get a lot of Jesus there. Mm -hmm. So it's going to feel more and more real. But if you want to see if Jesus is real, if he lives among his people, you must go there and be among his people and actually live among his people. You must be in his word. You must be in prayer. You must be among people. And I would say find one or two trusted Christians who are stronger and more mature spiritually than you and spend some time with them. Read scripture together. Pray together. Examine your life. Let them test your life and see maybe there is some sort of hidden sin that is causing this. Um, not that sin always causes doubt, but let, open yourself up to the work of God and see what happens. Um, James chapter 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power when it is working. That's a, that's a promise. That's a fact. So put it to the test. Let other Christians pray for you. Pray with them. See what happens. Hebrews 10 says, let us draw near with a full assurance of faith, right? So he says, full assurance of faith, right? And he, Okay, how do we do that? He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as we, all the more as we see the day drawing near. So again, he's saying, how do you experience assurance? Gather, be together, be convinced, be convicted. Let others speak truth into your life. See what happens. Sometimes we go through seasons of darkness. That is not something to be shunned. James actually says, have mercy on those who doubt. Uh, James chapter, or Jude, sorry, Jude yeah. verse one, verse 20. So this seasons, these, they happen. But if you... If you allow this experience to lock yourself out of the community of God, you will only experience that loneliness ever more because God's, God's goods are dispersed in his church, in the fellowship of the community, in his promises. So if you want to test his promises, test them and see what happens. Quick question here. I, we may include it, we may not. So the skeptic in me says, how would this be different from simply brainwashing someone? Because technically what we're saying is surround yourself with people that think the way Bible teaches. Right. Act like the Bible teaches. And you're going to start believing it. Right. How is this different? Because the very distinction I made in the beginning, is your doubt primarily intellectual or is it primarily emotional or spiritual or experiential if you sit down and say why am i doubting so much why do i not feel like doing any christian stuff anymore why is it an actual fact or or question i have or is it just this feeling of negative Mm -hmm. experience now if it's if there's no actual question that you have by all means, ask all the questions and find the answers. Mm-hmm. That right. So I get what yeah. you're saying. Being in Christian community doesn't make it true, 
But if your experience is more that you've run dry spiritually and it doesn't feel real anymore, that's a different source of doubt. So that's, that's a source that, that, that's maybe a sign that if God's church is real, right? Say it's real. Say God mm-hmm. is real. Uh, Jesus is real. The church is real, right? So if you want the juice, if you want the spiritual life and joy of being part of the church and the church is real, if you've unplugged from the church, you're going to feel dead and dry. So if you want to say, well, is the church even real? Here's one test. Plug yourself back in, right? So that's the test of its reality, of its vitality. And a lot of Christians will struggle with all these doubts and wonders when, when they're not immersed in Christian community. They're not immersed in Christian practices. And therefore, they're trying to look from a far off distance and say, oh, that city is, is bad. That, 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 that is not real. Well, go there and see if it's real. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not an intellectual question. It's, it's an experiential, spiritual one. And I think this distinction is really key for many yeah. people. And that makes sense. Yeah, that's a gr- great question. That makes sense. Uh, I think we might have run overboard a little bit there over time. Just a little. Um, yeah, a very important question. Very important topic. Send in any questions you guys may have as follow-up. Uh, go on well-said.org. Find us on Facebook at Well Said Words. That's the page. We're on Instagram, uh, Well Said something something, Twitter, whatever. Let us know what you think. Leave a review on iTunes also. And uh, thanks for hanging in with us.